I've cobbled together sort of my musical knowledge. I really like people that really mine the human experience. The whole thing for me was following my bliss. That is Brett Hoos, and I'm Ken Cooper. Brett is a musician, a businessman, he's a music producer, an engineer, and a Grammy winner. Yeah, and in my humble opinion, he is one of the coolest folks in town. So when Brett talks about following his bliss, I think he means that he, well, tell you what, let's let Brett tell us what he means. This is Around River City. Thanks for being here. We'll start the conversation and get to know Brett Hoos next. This is Around River City. It's the podcast about the people that make this such a cool place to live. I'm Ken Cooper. You can go to AroundRiverCity.com, by the way, for all kinds of fun and useful information about things that are going on right here in this area. You can also subscribe to the podcast and you'll never miss a show. So let's get right into the conversation with Brett Hoos. Well, my name is Brett Hoos and I uh, own uh, Soundstations Audio Productions. We produce audio solutions and video solutions for communications, marketing, and music professionals. In La Crosse and around the area, we're mobile, so we do a lot of that for people. And uh, we're on the south south end of La Crosse in the AVS Group building. That it sounds so businesslike, mm-hmm. but this is way more than a business. I, I mean, we're sitting here in this room uh, with some very high tech recording equipment, keyboards, guitars, mic cords. This is this is an artistic creating space, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, I'm. For me, I wanted it to be able to make it quick and easy for me when I sit down to do my stuff, but also for customers so when they come in, you know, that I can quickly move to what they need me to do because, you know, time is money, that kind of thing. But I wanted it to be as comfortable as possible. My wife has had something to do with that because I could be oblivious to anything on walls or anything (laughs) like that, you know. So You creative types, you get to be oblivious to things. Sometimes. Sometimes we are. Um, But when it comes to interfacing with technology, as you can imagine, and I'm sure you experience all the time, it can be maddening because it makes you, forces you over to your left side of your brain when you really don't want to be over there. Right. Right. Well, but that's kind of a, I find that structured constraint can actually sort of inspire creativity because Mm -hmm. it's, okay, now I have to create something, but it must be within this, 30 or 60 second time frame and it forces you to be even more creative that's you know that's true um, because sometimes you have two hours and within two hours you know you're thinking I'm just gonna start and see where I get you know especially when I get a commission for a soundtrack for a video or something like that um, then you know you're always looking for that adjective that describes what they want and you have to you have that deadline forces you to get you know, to it and get cut to the through the thing, get to it. Whereas when I'm working on a project where you know it's mine, and I whenever I finish it, I finish it. There can be any number of reasons to slow down and put it off, and <laughs> right. usually there are. So yeah, those deadlines they come in handy for creative people, don't they? They do. I mean, because most of the time they're content with uh, living on that side, the right side of the brain, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the left side is sort of burdensome. It has to do with budgets, time constraints, delivery, follow through, all yeah. those things that uh, require organized. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about uh, music 
and how you uh, came to be a, such a big part, I think, of the creation of, of music in this area. What's what's your musical background? Did you grow up in a musical family? or? Well, my sister was a vocal major at Lawrence University in Appleton, and, and my aunt also studied there. And so I was exposed to a lot of the music from not only the sacred side of it because of the churches that they sang in, but uh, musical theater. Both of them were really involved in that. My sister got me involved in the musical theater production in Nina, Wisconsin. So how old were you at this time? About 14. Okay. And I, I had had some guitar lessons, but, you know, I really I really didn't, you know, I was busy with sports. I was really into playing basketball. Nina's known in the state for mm-hmm. basketball programs, and that was a big deal. But she convinced me that the summer play needed some more young men to play for The Sound of Music. <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, as long as you don't tell my friends, I said, I'll do it, because they'll never know. They're not coming to the play. And, you know. <laughs> um, so that's how I started. And then uh, when I came to UW-Lacrosse um, after transferring from a school in Indiana, I, I came up here and I had started writing music up at the university's field station at Pigeon Lake. On, I was taking some summer courses for three weeks. I think it was the first time I really had a chance to be that quiet and that peaceful and solitude where you don't have things going on around you all the time. And I discovered that I just things were coming out of me and I would take my neighbor's guitar out on the dock and I started scribbling and started to find that that brought me a lot of joy. And it still does. You know, it's cheaper than psychiatry, I believe. Well, maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe it isn't as I look around in here. I don't yeah, know. there's a lot of expensive <laughs> psychological <laughs> treatment that yeah, I see yeah. here. Um, so you, guitar was your first instrument? It was. And, um, you know, I, I played our piano at home. I would put on some jazz records and try and play along with them. And my mother really tried to get me to take some piano lessons. And I would have, but my dad didn't think that was a great idea. Hmm. He, for some reason... I don't know. I think he looked at the jazz scene, Bill Evans and Miles and the troubles they had and the lifestyles they led. And I think he felt like, eh, I don't think that lifestyle is what you should be aspiring to. Yeah. And, but he later on totally was supportive because he could see that it was just going to happen and it was in either get on board or we're going to be fighting, you know. Right, right. I think as, uh, as we've gotten, maybe our society has gotten a little bit more... Uh, Realistic, I think we've realized that those troubles that they that those artists went through uh, happened in every segment of the music industry, the acting industry, and life in general. I think. I, I think if you're going to get into those problems, you're probably going to get into them. Yeah, yeah. I really think you know. I think I know so many musicians who are totally no problems with any right. of that stuff, and they're just so focused and so. Do you remember? the first song you wrote oh i do absolutely i do yeah yeah and uh, it was it was scribbled on an envelope at pigeon lake on the dock and the next morning i woke up and i didn't really remember that experience i mean it was it was almost like it just sort of came through me and it was the first time i experienced it it was very much like how it felt when you were in the zone playing sports when i was playing basketball so when I woke up the next day, it was like the noon hour, we had a break and we, I went back to the cabin and on the dresser that was across from my bunk, I found the envelope and I went, oh man, that happened. And I just, when I listened to it, cause I had recorded it on a little portable cassette deck, yeah. at least at that point I had some sense that 
you know, to work with it, you need to be able to evaluate it and stuff. So that's sort of was how my approach was when I started writing songs. Then I realized the same things that you do discipline in sports or in dance or symphony or whatever people do that those discipline things apply. It really is all about, you know, evaluate, practice, evaluate, get training, get coaching, you know, mentoring, whatever you have to do, get as much of it as you can. And if you do it once, you probably can do it again and probably you're going to get better at it because that was my experience growing up with sports. So did you you make that connection back then? I did. I absolutely did. I, I knew that as you practice these things, you will get better at this. If you can do this now, it, it was okay. It wasn't a great song, but it was okay. And part of it was that my playing was rusty. I hadn't really played the guitar in years. And I started taking piano lessons after that, after I came back from that experience. My roommate at the time, who's still a great friend of mine and who actually himself just started writing songs again after having a long hiatus, told me that when I came back from that experience where we were backpacking in the national forest in the wilderness areas in northern Wisconsin, we were up on Lake Superior uh, on on Stockton Island for a week, and he said, when I came back from that, I was different. And I know that that's true. You know, it was just Mm -hmm. one of those irrevocable, this is a big moment. Something has changed. You know, just... Wow. Those moments when you know you've changed, and you may not even know how you've changed. But you know it's an important moment, right? The key is to pay attention to those moments, which is where we'll pick up the story with Brett in just a bit. This is Around River City. Welcome back to Around River City. I'm Ken Cooper. This time around, I'm talking with Brett Hoos, and we were just getting to the point where he said something about him had changed. Of course, we all change. But Brett decided to pay attention to the change, to pay attention to what was going on inside him and see what he could make out of it. Well, and I I think that's a big part of it. Right, right. I was evaluating it as I went because I could see that I was spending my time still doing what I had been doing most of my life up until that point, which was playing basketball. And I was at UWL. I redshirted a year and then I had a year of eligibility and I completed that year. At that point, that was it. I stopped and I took all that effort and put it into playing music and writing songs and composing, learning how to compose, because I didn't know a thing about it. I was too far <laughs> into my college to, to move into the music department, or I guarantee I would have. So you're more self-taught with music. Yeah, really. Yep. I've had lessons, piano lessons and guitar lessons now, but uh, you know, I mostly, probably 80% of what I know has been just by doing it, and, you know, so... Are, are you are you a better musician than you would have been bas- a basketball player? <laughs> no, actually, I think because I had all of the fundamental training and all of the practice, I think I that I didn't get that in music. Okay. So it's a it's a stumbling block. You do things in the way you learn um, because you don't always know what things to be practicing. I was taught early on in sports how to practice. I didn't get that in music per se. I did get some of it later and that's been really helpful. And so I, I've, I've cobbled together sort of my musical knowledge in a way that works, but it's it would be, and I will probably 
pick up lessons again because as I work on more of my own material, I'm making more time for that as I go along too. You know, I mean, not that the world is waiting for it, but it's <laughs> you. You can't not do it if it's right. in you. You just you know it, it's you know. I never used to understand the process. I think um, I, I know a lot of artists have said this. I, I never understood the or the philosophy of it's about the process, not the result. But I think now as I've gotten more into things that I like to do. Um, creative outlets that I do on my own, I realize, oh, if this doesn't turn out exactly like it should, that's okay. Hmm. I mean, I did a project over the weekend, uh, this address thing, a mosaic thing that I made for the front of our house. Sure. And, and I, I've been doing mosaics for a few years now. And I jokingly said, this is the first mosaic that's ever turned out and looked kind of the way I expected it to. Mm-hmm. And then I re- and it made me think, it's okay that all those others haven't because... I enjoyed the process of making it. Yeah. And that's the yeah. same for you? Or? I, I'd say that's true. I'm, I've had some things that came out exactly the way I heard them in my head, um, and others that just took on their own own identity as they went. And I'm okay with either one because, you know, sort of you, you have to get into a state where you're okay with what comes out, even the bad stuff, because you can't get to the good stuff till you go through the bad stuff. Sometimes you write terrible lyrics and the melody and the verse are really nice and the choruses are memorable, but the lyrics suck and you don't really know why. And sometimes you revisit something you haven't looked at in a long time and you can complete it and it's now it's whole. It doesn't seem to always be the same way every time. And I'm okay with that. I think as as a listener of music, I think I like being on my end of it because every time I hear a song, especially for the first time, it feels completely spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And you don't stop to think that, wow, months and months and months of work went into creating this. Mm-hmm. This thing that just sounds like, oh, here's a bunch of people sat down around a yep. microphone and started playing. Yep. <laughs> I, I want to get back to... Uh, talking about your parents and your dad specifically, you said that he wasn't in favor of you becoming a musician, but then he came around. How did that happen? I think it happened because he saw the same kind of commitment to it uh, that I had when he witnessed me in sports. He saw that I was committed to it and I was focused on and I was doing the business of it, which I think that's what convinced him. I was making a good living and I got more and more into it. I was on the road after college for about a year and a half with a guy playing different venues. And I decided I, I didn't want that life per se unless I was doing original music because doing cover tunes, although, you know, we all learn them, we love them, it's how you find your way into music often, but it was really this self-expression that I was looking for. So I decided that I would get a job, a traditional job, and then work on my music and my studio chops on, on the side, which is what I ended up doing. You know, And it, it, it turned out to be the right thing for me because, again, I, I don't mind traveling and performing, but if I'm going to do that, I, wanna be, I want it to be something that's you know, original and new, bringing something to the table that's not revisited. There's a place for that, and there's a lot of musicians who do that, and I have no problem with that. I've done it for years, and I enjoyed that. But the long-term idea of how I wanted it, my life to proceed was more about having the ability to work on my own material, regardless of whether it was successful commercially or not, because it seemed to be a way to understand my life and the world around me better. So you didn't need to be famous 
you weren't trying to get famous no, or trying I, to get rich through well, music. I think you you know what what was driving me was the wanting to communicate my thoughts and my ideas and my experiences. Um, and if that meant people were flocking to my music, great. If not, I've still goes. I'm still doing it now. Even, mm-hmm. I mean, I I really like people like Jackson Brown and people that really mind the human experience in a way that there's a time and a place for fun and dance and everything else. But there's also a time in which you know you you read a James Joyce or a William Faulkner or you listen to a great songwriter get inside an experience of life that really moves you mm-hmm. and so i was i needed to do that for myself and i figure well if people like it great if they don't right. that's right well a, a, a perfect lyric or a perfect uh line uh you can find yourself saying that's it that's what i've been feeling that's mm-hmm. what i've been yeah that's what i've been trying to tell you <laughs> for all these years that's yeah. how i feel yeah and they yeah. said it in 11 words and they may have not even been talking about the same thing that you no. think they are and that's okay because whatever they bring to your life uh, as a writer as a as an artist a musician entertainer whether it's comedy music photography paint is if that brings some richness and joy into your life and some connectedness to the experience other people are having too, that's all that's all that matters, you know. Hmm. Richness, joy, and connectedness. Yeah, I would like more of all of those, please. This is Around River City. I'm Ken Cooper. Head over to AroundRiverCity.com and you'll find more great conversations and updates on events, businesses, and a lot more. AroundRiverCity.com. Brett Hoos has made a very successful business out of his passions for music and creativity. That would be enough for anyone, right? But those passions have also given Brett something else that I think is very, very cool. A Grammy Award. Yeah, that's next on Around River City. Thanks for listening to Around River City. I'm Ken Cooper, and I've been talking with local musician, producer, audio technician, and all-around creative person, Brett Hoos. Brett is one of those people who actually works at what he loves. Really, if you could achieve that goal, it's all you need for your career. But sometimes you get yourself noticed, and then things start to happen. Things that can lead to something like, well, a Grammy Award. So it must have been 2004 early. My friend uh, Michael Von Muchow, who has a studio in town, actual sound studios, was working with Bill Miller and producing and recording his Cedar Dream song record. And he called me up and asked me if I'd be willing to master it. And that's what ended up happening here. And then in about December of that year, my friend Terry Nerva, who everybody around mm-hmm. the area is probably familiar with him and his drumming, who's Bill Miller's percussion player and drummer, called me up and said, you remember that that the record for Bill that you mastered? And I said, oh, yeah. He goes, it got nominated for a Grammy. And I go, you're kidding me. And I said, wow, that's cool. Well, that's awesome. Okay, well, I'll talk to you later. And I hung up. And then <laughs> I called him back and said, don't we need to celebrate or something? <laughs> so we, we went down to a local establishment in town and met and had a beer or two. And then um, he said, you know, I he said, uh, we should call Bill and see if we can get tickets. And I said, well, yeah, you, you, should. Know, you, you deal with Bill more than I do, so why don't you do that? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I see Bill when he comes in, but right. he's, he's got his team of really close people he sees all the time. I see him occasionally here or there. We watch a Packer game together or something with uh, some other folks. But uh, he did that, and he 
said, uh, Bill said, yeah, I think we can do that. You guys might have to pay for your own tickets, though, because I don't really know how that works. So he found out all the particulars, and sure enough, we bought our tickets to the event and the after party and everything else. And he actually, Bill, Bill's management team wasn't going to use the parties for the, the nomination party, which happened on Saturday night. Then the Grammys were on Sunday. And so we went to the nomination party, and that was at uh, the science building at USC campus, I believe it was. And I ran into some people I had. That's not where I would expect a you know big no, Hollywood big uh, party to be. Atri- big atri- atrium with a big <laughs> area for the food and everything. Okay. And it had AV. It was really a good place to have that party. But it's a small group of people. It's mostly the nominating committees and the artists and stuff. And a lot of the technical people were there. I ran into some people who are actually my heroes in the music industry. I mean, people like Ed Cherney, who's recorded and mixed and produced Jackson Brown and the Rolling Stones uh, and uh, Jan Arden and so on and so on. He worked in Chicago with the great legendary Bruce Swedeen, who started in Minneapolis and ended up in L.A. and did Thriller with Michael Jackson. Wow. So he was his protege. Okay. Uh, uh, Ed was um, Bruce Swedeen's protege. And I recognized him from the media stuff. And I, he was standing next to me. And I introduced myself to him. We talked for an hour. And when I told him I was from, where I was from, he just started laughing, almost uncontrollably. And he goes, is that one street there with all the bars still there? <laughs> and I said, you mean like Third Street? He goes, I don't know. I just remember John's bar. I said, that's funny you said that because it's still there. And he, I said, how do you know about this? He goes, well, I, I grew up in the Chicago area. That's how I hooked up with Bruce Swedeen before he moved to L.A. And he goes, and then I went to UW-Whitewater for a while. And... Uh, and it, we, we used to come up to lacrosse, uh, and I don't want to tell you any more stories than that. And I said, you don't have to. I said, I probably was in the same party you were then. Wow. So, so that was Small really, world. That was really fascinating. I mean, here's this connection, and I've since communicated with him, especially when I was re-gearing my studio, about gear and what he thought of it. And, you know, he texted me back immediately. I just reminded him, the reference, I'm from lacrosse, remember, you know. And he, he knew who I was, and he was very... Very cool. And I ran into uh, uh, Bob Ludwig, who's probably the preeminent mastering engineer in the world. He's done everything. And I met him when uh, the woman who's now my wife, Ariane Leiden's project, we took, she asked me when we finished it, if you could go to any mastering engineer in the world, where would you go? Because she had a sponsor who was going to pay for this. And I said, well, I go see Bob Ludwig in Portland, Maine. She set it up and then asked me if I wanted to go, and I went, and that was an unbelievable experience. We sat in the room while he did the work, and we talked, and he took phone calls from people whose names I'm familiar with. So it's led to these amazing things. And he was at the nominating party, and I said hello to him again. And he asked me, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, I told him I had mastered this record. And he goes, well, apparently you were paying attention when you were in. <laughs> you know, and I said, I said, I don't know how this works. And he goes, that's usually how it works. You don't know how all this happens. It just started to happen. But I feel grateful that my friend Mike Von Muchow was, felt comfortable bringing the project for me to, to buff and polish, yeah. really. Because he had spent a ton of time producing it and recording it. And it was all done in lacrosse. So it was... You know, I, I mean, it's a tremendous um, feeling of, you know, brotherhood, you know, among the community of people that, were, that are here. There's a lot of really talented people here. Yeah, there really are. And I plan to talk to all of you, by the way, so watch out for that email, okay? 
And for this time, I've got to say thank you to my friend Brett Hoos. What a great conversation. Local musician, local producer, and like I said, one of the great people here in our community. You can find all of the Around River City podcasts at AroundRiverCity.com. In fact, you can subscribe to the show and you'll be notified every time we've got something new. I'm Ken Cooper. Thanks for listening to Around River City.